time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. Hey, welcome to the Vintage Truth Podcast. I'm Jeff Kinley, and I'm honored that you would join me today. You know, we've been talking about the state of our country and just more specifically some of the recent things that have gone on with the divisiveness and the riots and the chaos that have been going on. And, um, you know, there are many more things that we could address about our country, but I really want to get it, you know, our attention turned back to scripture. We've been talking about how do we engage our culture in a post-Christian America, an America that more and more people are becoming less and less tuned in to Christianity or even to have an affinity for Christianity. It used to be where a lot of people that didn't go to church would, would at least say, you know, I know I need to, but, uh, but you know, I got to work on Sunday or whatever. You know, today people don't even care. You know, Sunday is fun day for most people. And not to say that you have to have church on Sunday, but, you know, that's traditionally when we've had church. And so, but people are not attending church like they used to. Less than half of Americans now attend church. So anyway, we were looking at scripture and looking at an example of how Paul engaged his culture and specifically this, this pagan society on in Athens on a place called Mars Hill where there, there were all these, in, these monuments and inscriptions and statues to all these different gods that they worshipped. And every god had a certain, certain power, a certain thing that you would get from this god if you were to make a sacrifice to it or pay money uh, to the temple. And, and of course, you know, None of it was proven because it was all just made up stuff, uh, counterfeits of the true God. And yet there was this one inscription there on Mars Hill, kind of this graveyard of gods kind of thing. And it was to the unknown God. So Paul begins to unpack to them. He says basically, hey, you guys are worshiping all these gods. Here's this God over here called the unknown God. Hey, I know his name. And he begins to tell them about the unknown God. And he begins with the ABCs of God, the fact that God is creator of the world. God made the world. It sounds like something you would say to a toddler in a Sunday school class or a vacation Bible school or something like that. Hey, kids, God made the world. He made the world. And when there was no world, God said, let there be a world. And there it was. That's how big our God is. He begins with this elementary truth. But, but yet we find in our culture that even the elementary truths of God are truths that our culture is he- is hesitant to accept because people aren't like stupid, okay? They understand that when you say there's a God and that he made the world, that he made humanity, there's sort of a, you know, follow-up from that. And the follow-up is, oops, what's he like? Does he like me? Is there something I need to do? What, what, what am I, what's my standing before this God? Because, you know, if, if the God of the world is, is one of the 300 million gods that, you know, that Hindus have, that Buddhists have, or one of the Hare Krishna gods, if he's one of those gods, then, you know, it's kind of harmless, you know. But if he's a God who's righteous and just and who punishes sin, then you might want to figure out, what to do. And the good news for Christians, which is what the gospel is, good news. The good news for Christians is he's already paid that penalty for us. We get the get out of jail free card 
through the cross of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So once we are saved, we are saved in perpetuity. We're saved for eternity because of the payment that he made. Not because of how good we are or how great a Christians we end up becoming, but because of how great he was. So Paul impacts that. He begins to talk about God as creator and that he made humanity and made the the earth and the heavens and that he's not dwelling in temples made by human hands and hands and and he says that the reason God made the world and people in it is so that the people in the world could seek him could have a relationship with him and then he quotes Greek poetry from a few hundred years earlier (laughs) he says hey remember what your your poet said that we are God's offspring hey turns out that's true from his perspective, not from the poet's perspective. So he kind of gets to the point where, you know, like the old saying says, you either fish or you cut bait, but you can't like do nothing. You can't just be a passenger in the boat. You got to fish or you got to prepare the bait. Paul is now at the fish or cut bait point of his talk. In Athens on Mars Hill to a group of pagans who worship false gods. So imagine yourself today at the um, student union or in the town square or at a protest or somewhere else. And you're now at the fish or cut bait point of your talk, assuming they let you get that far. This is what Paul says. Acts 17, 30 says, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all, everywhere, should do something. And what is that one thing God wants every person, everywhere, to do? One word Paul uses. You ready for it? Repent. Repent. Whoa. That's not a word you hear used a lot. In today's culture. You know why? Because it's an unpopular word. It sounds negative. It's a word that evokes emotions of, I got to change my life or something's got to happen here. It's a vintage truth word because it comes right from the Bible. What does it mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that he's saying to all those people, And saying to your culture, stop doing all the bad stuff that you're doing. I mean, mean, stop, stop cussing. Stop getting drunk. Stop getting high. Stop sleeping around. Stop being a homosexual. homosexual. Stop being an an atheist. He's, He's not saying stop doing that stuff. He's saying turn to God from that stuff. If you turn to God, God will change you. Because in reality, you can stop being an atheist and still go to hell. You can stop being a homosexual and still go to hell. You can stop getting drunk or high or sleeping around on the weekends and still go to hell. You know why? Because that's not what keeps you out of hell and that's not what gets you into heaven. That's not what gets you into a declared righteous state before God. That's not what changes your position before God is simply by stopping the bad stuff. The word repent is a Greek word, metanoeo. And it means a a change according to the mind. 
means to change your mind about something. And to these people, he's saying, change your mind about who you're going to worship. Change your mind about what you think now about this, this God that I've described to you. Change your mind so that you can change a, your decision about the direction of your life. You can choose to have faith in him. That's what he's saying. That's what repentance means. It doesn't mean we stop doing stuff so that God will like us. It means we, we, we turn from these idols, as Paul told the Thessalonians. We turn from the idols to the living God. The key there is to the living God. It's not just turning from the idols. You've got to turn to God. Make that positive faith step towards God. We're not going to impact all of what that means right now, but that's, that's the simple version of it, okay? So God is declaring to everybody everywhere to repent. That's the message. Repent and believe on the gospel. And he's saying that he overlooked the times of ignorance. So what does that mean? Well, it just means that God's been patient. God has been very patient with humanity. The Bible says that God is a long-suffering God. Have you ever wondered why Jesus hasn't come back already? Or why God just hadn't said, all right, heck with this stuff. Let's, let's let, you know, unleash the floodgates of my wrath. Why hasn't he done that yet? Because he's a patient and loving God. And the people that you and I come in contact with out there in the world, he loves them. And he wants them to repent, to repent. And there's a great verse on that in Peter See if I can find it for you real quickly. In 2 Peter 3, Peter wrote this. I won't be able to get into the whole context here because it's about the end times, by the way. It says, The Lord is not slow about his promise of judgment, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So, yeah, God wants the world to repent. But repenting is, is really a beautiful thing because it means that we turn towards the one who can actually save us. Now, why should we repent? Well, back in Acts 17, verse 31, Paul continues. He says, because he, that's God, has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, capital M, whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men that he's the man, by raising him from the dead. Talking about Jesus there, right? Jesus Christ proved that he was God in human flesh, that he was deity, that he was the creator of the world by, by raising from the dead. I mean, any kook, any idiot can claim to be God. Any person can found their own religion. Anybody can have a, a book of writings but you gotta, you got to come back from the dead to prove that you're God, you know? I remember one time I read a story about a, a 17th century French philosopher who wanted to start his own religion. So he went to a, a pal of his and he said, hey, I'm going to start my own religion and get people everywhere to follow me. What do you think I need to do? And his friend just looked at him and said, yeah, it's easy. Get yourself crucified and then raised from the dead in three days. And you'll have all the followers you want. That's what Jesus did. And he's the only person to ever do that in human history, which is why he's the only one who is worthy of worship 
And according to this verse, why God the Father says he's the only person worthy of judging mankind. So that's the message. Know who the creator is. Know that you need him, that you need to repent and believe in his son because he's going to be your judge or he's going to be your savior. Now, obviously, there are many things about Jesus and the gospel Paul could have said there. But in that context, in that moment, at that time, with those people in that city, surrounded by those statues and those monuments to all those false gods, that's what he told them. Built a bridge to them, got into their world, told them about Jesus. Now, how did they respond to that? Verse 32 says, Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, which is something that, implied Paul had the real answer. Some began to sneer. I use that word a lot today, sneer. I think of a, like a cat hissing at me, you know, sneer. They began to deride Paul. They began to, to mock him. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. Very interesting, the responses there. And then finally, it says, So Paul went out of their midst. Ah, but there was a third response. But some men, verse 34 says, But some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Very interesting that you have these three responses. One is, one is hostile. One is derogatory. In today's world, they'd call you a name. They'd label you a bigot or homophobe or some other word that would basically try to put you in this little category where you're not the person bringing truth. You're actually a bad person. So you share the gospel, the true truth, the gospel, the vintage truth of people, some people are going to call you evil. That's why Isaiah 5.20 says, whoa. God says, whoa, hold on. Judgment will come to those who call good evil and evil good. They just, they, they flipped the values. And some people are going to do that. They're going to sneer. They're going to hate you for the message that you bring. Guess what? You're married to the message if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So some people are going to sneer. Some are going to mock. Some are going to make fun of you. Some are going to crucify you on social media. Some will defriend you. Some will disown you. That's one response. Others said that we'll hear you again concerning this. In essence, they're saying, interesting. Good good point there, Paul. I, you know, I never thought about that before. That's, that's something that I might, I might want to talk about again with you sometime. So some people just have a little bit more of a willingness to dialogue about truth. And, and that's what I call an open door. You know, there's just, there's a, there's a crack in the door that says you might, you might get the truth in. And some people are going to be like that. And that's cool. But the third group, the third group of people are going to be those that believe. And that's legit too. Not everybody you talk to is going to fall on their knees and ask, what must I do to be saved? In fact, very few, <laughs> will we'll ask how to be saved. But some eventually will. So how, 
how many will do that? Well, we don't know. I mean, Jesus told the parable of the sower and the soils in Mark chapter 4. And in that, in that parable, he basically said that 75% of those who have the word of God sown into their hearts will eventually reject it. In other words, 25% are those that will accept it and will go on with God. Now, whether or not he's trying to be specific in percentages, I'm not, not really sure that's the, that's the case here. The point is, is that more people will eventually go their own way and reject the gospel than will accept it. That's why Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. That's why in John 6, when he preached to a crowd of 15, 20,000 people, when the truth started getting hard, when he started demanding something of them, of their hard allegiance, the Bible says they all left. I mean, by the tens of thousands, they left. And he's, and Jesus is left at the end of the day with his disciples. You can read about that in John chapter 6. It's an amazing passage. And I've seen that in my own ministry. I've seen people just, I mean, like blossom up out of the ground like, like to become this, this huge fruit tree of spirituality overnight. And nine times out of ten, those are the first people to be taken out. Those are the first people that just fall to the wayside. And, and I kind of, in the, my mind came up with this, this thought that, you know, the greater the initial response, the less the follow through, you know. It's, it's the loudest mouth and the biggest person in the room that really wants to go gung-ho with God from the very beginning. Many times those people don't end up lasting. They, they peter out. They fizzle out because their faith wasn't real from the start. It's the people that accept it and allow God to grow the word, to grow faith inside them. Those people who just get up every day and just walk with Jesus, those are the people that have a better chance of lasting. But that's the culture that you and I are in. Some are going to mock you. Some are going to sneer against you. Some are going to, hey, still be your friend. They may think you're a little kooky with the things you believe, but they like you and they're willing to hear what you have to say. That was my experience, becoming a Christian. The, the young man who led me to Christ at age 16, we were both 16, and I was like, you know, I'm not sure I'm digging everything you're saying there, but I'm willing to listen to you some more. And, and that eventually led to my salvation. So don't give up on people. If there's a willingness to listen and a willingness to dialogue, then there is a chance that God may use you in their life to bring them to Jesus Christ. That's just one way that we engage our culture. We have to get in there. We have to know what we believe. We have to know who we believe. And then we have to live it out in front of them every day. Hey, it's dark world out there, but you have the light inside of you. And now is the most exciting time, I believe, since the first century for a Christian to be living. You have the ability to take the truth to your world and to do it in many, many different ways. We only talked about one of them today in engaging our culture the past several episodes. We'll discuss more in the future and a new topic on the next Vintage Truth podcast. I hope to, to see you here. I hope you'll be here for these podcasts. Hope it's been a blessing to you. Hey, take the challenge out there. Be the gospel. Be like Paul. See you next time.